0: We all know what the kukri is, right? It's a blade of the Gorkas, the knife. And I read that it was with a kukri that when his leg was severely and critically injured, that the major used to, had to use to amputate it himself, because there was no morphine and there were no drugs uh, anesthetics at that time. And he bravely went on ahead with that. And there's just two lines that uh, come to me when I read of him. It's from William Ernest Henley's Invictus. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Our first keynote speaker for today, Major General Ian Cardoz. Abit Banerjee, Nobel Laureate. Distinguished dignitaries on the stage. Distinguished dignitaries in the audience. Ladies and gentlemen, it is a delight to be back in Goa after so many years and to be given the privilege of delivering this keynote address. I must confess that this is the first keynote address that I am giving and I hope I will come up to your expectations. Commenting on what the earlier speakers said, uh, we in the army do not have much time for people who write. And I always wanted to write, but they looked down upon us as paper tigers. And so I had to start writing only after I retired. But it has been wonderful, a wonderful world to write about. There's so much to write about and so little time. I wondered as to what I should say at this keynote address. It sounds so very serious and I am not a very serious person. And then I was told, you could talk about the Goa that you knew over 80 years ago. That's nearly a century ago. And I said, okay. That being so, I thought I should share with you my experiences of Goa of nearly a century ago. In those years, it was in the summer holidays that we Bombay cars used to come to Goa every April and May. In fact, not only the Bombay Goinkas, but Goinkas from all over the world used to focus on coming and spending time in their ancestral homes, It was a royal homecoming. We who had settled in Bombay used to travel by ship and it was our preference to travel on the San Anton. It was called an ag boat, fire boat. And we used to get on board and stake our place on the deck with our dharis. And out would come the guitars, and the mandolins, and the smuggled booze. And the trip from Bombay to Goa used to be a song fest all the way till we finally went to sleep with the noise of the ship's engines giving us a lullaby. There was no bridge on the Mandovi at that time. And we used to travel to Beti. Uh, on a gasoline, uh, a ferry run on gasoline. And when we reached the other side, we were put into a a taxi called a Kamiyao and then we reached Kanduli, my hometown. We had a wonderful villa there and our house was called Motokuris. It was in the boundaries of Bamanwado and Dando. I understand that a big hotel has come up there now and I feel very sad to know that our house doesn't exist anymore. In the goa of those days, there was no electricity, so no lights, no fans or refrigerators. For lights, we used lanterns and what was those days called ponties, improvised lamps. Being very close to the sea, the breeze from the sea kept us cool. And a line of storerooms at the back of the house had earthen pots hanging from the rafters, which had kara, para, pickles, and on the floor coconuts and firewood, for in those days our food was cooked on wood fires. The kitchen was our favourite room. It used to be filled with the beautiful aroma of Marianne's beautiful k- cooking. Marianne was our caretaker. And before we arrived, she would make sure that there were cakes of mangad and bibik waiting for us and pickles of every sort. Food was cooked on chulas that were fed with wood, which were basically dry fronds of coconut trees that grew around our house. Part of the kitchen housed the bathroom. Now the bathroom was just a wall with a small square window, and at the side. There was a huge metal container called a band and there used to be a girl to put in the corso in the band and hand it over to us through the reperture and we used to have a hot bath. And I understand that goans all over the world, irrespective of the weather, are used to having hot baths. We had our own well, part of which was in the kitchen and part of which was outside so the others could use it also. Dinner was had in the kitchen, but before that, Dad would give us a small glass filled with Kajel, with sugar and hot water. Dinner was followed by Rosary in Konkani, along with Marianne and the servants. And I still remember the sonorous cadence of the Our Father and the Hail Mary in Konkani, which had us nodding off to sleep. Early next morning, we would don our swimming costumes and run out of the back door onto the beach to play on its gleaming white sands. At one end of the beach, Kanduli, was Sinkeri Hill, Fort Aguad and the lighthouse. And at the bottom of Sinkeri was a lovely warm spring where we used to bathe. The other side of Kanduli stretched to Kalangut and Baga. The beach was empty except for us and the fishermen who used to cast their nets in a unique way and it was so exciting to see the fish jumping in those nets. Often, the waves would throw lines of sardines onto the shore and all we had to do was run along and pick them up before the next wave picked them back into the sea. Fish were so plentiful that we used to use it as manure. On return from the beach, we used to wash away the sand at the well before having a hot bath. Food in Goa was outstanding. But breakfast was a bit of a disaster. We were forced to eat pears, kanji, and, which we didn't like but was told, it's good for you, so you have it. Goa those days was duty free. Scotch whisky, masyara brandy was just 6 rupees a bottle and everything was dirt cheap. In fact, I remember seeing Mercs, that is Mercedes Benz, being used as taxis in Panjim and Margao. I could go on and on, but that would be at the risk of boring you. However, what I wanted to share with you was a goa of long ago, a goa I remember, a different goa of what it was then and what it is now. It is a goa of scintillating beaches, wide open spaces, swaths of coconut trees and mango groves, kaju plants grew wild at the back of the house. It was a goa of different aromas, particularly the rooms at the back of the house. Which stored the para, the kara, the pickles, and the mounds of coconuts from our trees, of sounds of the waves that crashed on the shore, of the hens about to lay eggs, of the poder with his cycle, with his pom pom, and the squealing pig being taken off for the slaughter. I don't know whether those sights and sounds and aromas exist in today's Goa, but we have to accept Goa for what it is, because that's where we belong. This fest and the earlier ones, I believe, are based on the concept of belonging. Belonging to our beloved Goa. Coming back to our sense of identity and belonging, I think my own family played an important part in taking part, taking Goan music, dance, language and culture to the rest of India. My mother's sister's husband, Professor Ancha Lobo, Anton Xavier, founded along with other eminent Goans from Bombay, the Goan Folk Song and Choral Society during the war years and staged performances all over India. My mother, her sisters and my older cousins took part in these performances which included the mando, the dakni, the Kunbi wedding scenes and scenes celebrating our fisher folk and the church. The Goan Folk Song and Choral Society projected Goa on India's first Republic Day with the Kunbi wedding on Narajpat in Delhi. It was the same Professor Ancho Lobo who composed the music for Sahare Jahan Se Acha, Hindustan Hamara, which is still played during the every beating of the retreat in Delhi. All this brought me to understand that belonging has various levels of identity, family, home, school, college, community, state, institutions and country. And I'm not sure whether Goans realize that to be truly Goan one needs to break out from the boundaries of goanness to being citizens of India and the world. Goa has excelled in every profession and in every human endeavor and it will be selfish to confine them to the boundaries of Goa and that their work for well, their work to be properly acknowledged, accepted and, and recognized, we Goans need to be ident- identified as citizens of India and the world. My grandfather on the mo- my mother's side, Philip Vincent de Souza, established the Anglo Luzutan in Bombay and the ILI Hall for Goans to celebrate their various events. I wonder if anyone amongst you remembers the Lusitanians, the famous hockey team of the Goans. My father played for them. My uncles played for them. And I wonder if you remember Neville D'Souza. Neville Souza was the person who scored a hat-trick at Melbourne in the Olympics. And yeah, and he was uh, mentioned on Amitabh Bhashan's show. And the, and the answer to the question of who scored a hat-trick at Melbourne from India. And the, the, the participant didn't know the answer. It, he would have fetched 1, 000, one crore of rupees. It was Neville De Souza, And Neville's father, Jose, was the first goalkeeper of the Lusitanians and the Goans in Bombay before Leo Pinto and Sakrumanesis. His uncles played Nelson and Suryako. My dad, Vincent, my uncle, Johnny D'Souza, all played for the Lutherans. We played their hearts out for Goa because that's where we belonged. That was the sense of belonging and they went to do their best. I would like here to tell you an interesting story about an individual who was our servant in the house. He was a rabid Goan. Anything Goa was exceptionally good. There could be no fault with anything going. And I used to play for the Lusitanians B team before I played for my school hockey. And we were one day playing at the BPHA before the main match and the people, it was a a key match and there was a huge crowd already there when we went in to play our match. But the goalie didn't come. The goal was empty. And suddenly, I got a shout from the stands, "Bob, Aon yata! Baab! It was Joao, our cook. And he dodged through everybody and reached me panting and said, Sap, Bob! let me play in the goal. So, I went to the referee and I said, uh, we don't have a goalkeeper, can he play? He said, is his name on the team? I said, no. But the, the crowd was getting restive and they were quite excited by this, what was happening. And they were shouting and cheering. So the referee said, okay, you put his name down, let him play. So Joao played in the goal. (laughs) I said to him, pad up, use your pads, use your protective gear. Bob Naka, I don't want. I will play without anything. I said, you get hurt. Doesn't matter. And Juwan played his heart out. He saved every ball that went into the, he didn't allow the ball to enter the goal. And the crowd was in raptures. They were cheering him all the time. And the next day, although there was a big match which was, which was uh, followed us, nothing about them appeared. It was only Jao and a photograph of him in the goal. He was hurt all over. His shins, his, uh, his torso, his hands. Luckily, he got no serious injury. But that is what Goa is all about. That is what goans is all about. This is what we feel about Goa. He played his heart out and I think he will never, ref, uh, remember, he will never forget this to the end of his days, neither can I. As an officer of the Indian Army, I learnt that I belonged to a bigger family and a bigger cause. Lines of caste, community and creed had to become blurred in order to belong to a higher and greater identity. In the Mil- Indian Military Academy, we learnt. Country always came first and that included the people of India, that the soldiers we commanded came next and our own needs as soldiers came last, always and every time. We were taught that to belong the following a very important, love. Now I, I don't know what you think about a soldier being associated with love, but it is on the altar of love that men and women in uniform put their lives on the line of fire and disappear in the smoke and fire of battle. Love for the country, love for the people of India, love for our soldiers, love for the regiment and love for the way of life which has no equal. The next important value that we learned was honor. Honor is the value from which everything else flows. And I'd like to tell you a couple of stories about love, honor, personal example. Personal example comes from leadership. The army is all about leadership and leadership falls on very young sh- shoulders of very young officers who lead from the front. They do not say to Arahu, they say, May De Piche move. In other words, follow me. And that's what the army is all about. And the soldier, the Indian soldier, the best in the world, and I hope it continues to be the best in the world with all these problems of Agni Patan, Agni Veer and all that, but without doubt, the Indian soldier is the best in the world. And he follows his officers, his young tigers, because he knows that they are right in front facing the maximum fire and the maximum danger. My own battalion, the 4th Battalion, the 5th Gurkha Rifles, entered the war in 1971 with 18 officers. Only 7 survived in a 13-day war. Four got killed, seven got badly wounded, only seven survived. That is the price that we have to pay for the service and security of our country. Duty and commitment, sacrifice. I would like to illustrate this by a couple of stories. One of them is the Battle of Dograi. Jat was led by a Lieutenant Colonel Desmond Haid, Mahavir Chakra. When he was a captain and I was a gentleman cadet in the IMA, he taught us, he said, Battles are won or lost on the ground before, sorry, battles are won or lost in the mind before they are won or lost on the ground. And he proved that in Dograi, he was given a task to capture Dograi across the Ichogil Canal. His battalion, the Third Jat, captured Dograi at great cost, and went on beyond Dograi. An infantry battalion on foot, 11 miles beyond Dograi, on the outskirts of Lahore, at a place called Batapur, but the brigade could not link up with them and he had to come back. They were very, very upset. They said getting us back is a slur on the honor of our battalion. And when Dograi had to be captured again, they volunteered to be in the vanguard. They said, we will capture Dograi again. And Lieutenant Colonel Desmond Haid, whose ancestors were from Ireland, who spoke Hindi with an accent, but who, who spoke Haryanbi, like a jatt, addressed the troops and said, We are going to capture Dograi again. Many of you will die. Many of you will be wounded. And if I die, I want you to take my body to Dograi tomorrow morning, because that's where I want to be. Where will we be tomorrow morning? And the whole battalion rode Dogerai. And they captured Dograi again. Amazing, because uh, the Pakistani battalion which is holding Dogerai, a battalion consists of a thousand men. A brigade consists of three battalions, so over 3000 men. The battalion holding Dograi was decimated. 897 bodies were counted. But they themselves suffered very severe casualties. This is what the army is all about. Honour, love, sacrifice, commitment, duty, discipline. And then I'll take you to the 71 war. I was still in staff college when my posting to a staff appointment was cancelled and I was sent to my battalion because the second in command was killed and I was to replace him. The battalion was given a task to capture an objective called Atkaram. And we came from a counter-insurgency area. Now, the army in counter-insurgency areas does not use heavy weapons. So, they had no artillery. So, we were going into attack. Normally, in an attack, you use heavy artillery to keep the enemy's head down. We he had no artillery. So, the CO said, Okay, we are Gurkhas. And as someone said earlier, we used the Kukri. The Kukri is a, uh, the battle Kukri is about, has a blade of about 14 to 16 inches, very sharp, curved. And he said, we will launch a Kukri attack at midnight, catch the enemy by surprise. And we launched the last Kukri attack in modern military history. And that moonlight night, Pakistani heads rolled. Kukris were used with abandon. And those Pakistanis who survived ran back and told their, their comrades, Don't mess with the Gurkhas because you are liable to lose your head. So this is what happened in the first battle. A battalion fought three bat- battles in 13 days. The problem with the army, any army in the world is, if you do well, you get more and more difficult tasks. And then we were told to go and capture Ghazipur, another enemy stronghold. And we had to capture Ghazipur because another battalion could not capture it. It had failed at this task. And the co commander, General Sagat Singh, one of the finest strategic commanders of the world, said, send in the Gurkhas. I know they will do the job. And we captured Gazipur, but at a great cost. So uh, by this time, we had lost three officers, killed, four officers wounded, but we captured Gazipur. And now the CEO thought, okay, I think I need to reorganize the battalion. So many people have been killed, officers have been killed. And he asked for four days rest so that he could reorganize the battalion and put people in the right place. And he was hardly settling down and the battalion, the men were going to get their first hot meal in about seven days, when the co commander heard mistakenly that the brigade, that three battalions, the brigade, Pakistani brigade, holding Silhet, had moved for the defense of Dhaka. And he said, Filette is empty, I want them to be to be captured immediately. Send in the Gurkhas. So the CEO said, is this the only battalion in the core? Why can't somebody else be given this task? No. Only you can do it. And so, to cut a long story short, we launched India's first heliborne attack. And we were promised that we would be reinforced within forty eight hours. That never happened. The CO po- possibly knew that this reinforcement would not happen. So he talked to the JSUs and the men and he said, uh, I don't think we can be reinforced. So instead of carrying food and water we will c- and, and uh, bedding, we will carry more ammunition and grenades. And the men readily agreed. And that's what stood us in good stead. The battalion fought for nine days and nine nights. I was with them at that time. I was the second in command. Without food, without water, with less ammunition. What we didn't know, that the brigade had not left Silet, it was still there. So it was a ratio of one is to six. What made things worse is another brigade had reinforced Silet. So now there were two brigades and the, and the Silet garrison, which meant they were now nearly 8,000 troops. And our strength was 384. But we fought them till the end. Luckily, BBC, we, the Indian government did a great thing. We had nothing to hide. So we allowed foreign correspondents to march with the troops, to eat with the troops, to sleep alongside. And they were reporting things as they happened. And the world got absolutely authentic information, minute to minute. The correspondent made a mistake and said, a brigade of Gurkhas has landed at Selet. We were not, not even half a battalion. So we pretended to be a brigade. And to cut a long story short, the bluff worked. Finally, on the on the 10th tenth, tenth day, two officers from Pakistan came with white flags and the CO said, tell them to stop, not to come any closer because he was worried they'd come to know how, how, how little we were on the ground. And he said, we want to surrender. The CO said, I have no orders to accept your surrender. Go back and continue the fight. Then they said, can we speak to the brigade commander? Then we knew that our bluff had worked. So, we said, come back tomorrow at the same time. We'll talk to the brigade commander. So, the brigade commander came the next day in a helicopter. And the Pakistani said, who has come in this helicopter? He said, I have. The you the brigade commander. Aren't you here? He said, no. Where are you? 100 miles away. Then what is here? Only a battalion and that too half a battalion. They couldn't believe what was being told to them. And we got the biggest shock of our lives because three brigadiers, two full colonels, 170 officers, 290 JCOs, 8,000 men surrendered to us. We were just 352. So this is what belonging is all about. Eunice Souza has made belonging a part of our heritage as the Goan Litfest. And belonging, we need to take belonging to a different, different level. We have great ind- Goans doing great things for India. Can we be selfish and keep them within the limits and boundaries of Goa, or can they go and and their names and their achievements to become known worldwide. To typify what I have just said, I would like to give you a few quotes about the army. No one understands the value of life unless you have lived in the shadow of death. This is what the army is all about. Battles are won in the mind, lost or won in the mind before they are lost on the ground. This applies to all of us, to every walk of life. Helen Keller, life is an adventure or it is nothing. And Abraham Lincoln who said, do not count the years in your life Instead, consider the life in your ears. Belief in God is very important. The Indian army is very spiritual. We believe, t- we, in- we respect all religions. We respect unity and diversity. We have in mixed units, we have Gurdwara, Girijar, the uh, temple, mandir, all co-located, all in one place altogether. I as a Christian go to the mandir on Sunday because it's a parade. It's the men of, religion of my men. And then I go to my church because that is my religion and that's where I belong. And belief in God is important for the soldier because when he launches his attack with a war cry on his lips, he has God in his heart. And all of us need to have God in our hearts because and our prayers because we need India to be what it was all these years and in the future also unity and diversity is important that we must never forget thank you ladies and gentlemen